103, verse 6 is our springboard scripture, if you will, for this series that it seems that we're doing. Happy birthday, Brother Jerry Reynolds, by the way. You finally made it to 50, right? Who? 75. Wow, such a young age. Such a young man. It is. People always say, why do you say young man or young lady? Because you are young compared to a mountain. And you are so. Psalms 103, verse 6, The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. What's the Lord's answer for those who are oppressed? Righteousness and judgment. We've all been oppressed. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves there again. But when we are oppressed, make no mistake about it, we are outside of God's establishing us in His righteousness. We are outside of that perimeter when we find ourselves oppressed. Because the promise of God in Isaiah 54 and 14 is that He will establish His people in righteousness and oppression will be far from them. If I can find it here, I'll read it to you this morning. My goodness. Isaiah 54 and 14. It's a very special scripture. It should be dear to your heart because it is a promise for you. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 14. In righteousness. Let me say this is why God had to make you righteous when he saved you, and it's also why he had to make you a servant of righteousness when he saved you because it's the only place you can serve God is in righteousness. So listen carefully. In righteousness you will be established. You shall be far from oppression because you will not fear. Remember, the perfect love of Christ and what he did at Calvary has removed fear, the Bible says. You will not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. This is why we preach messages like this, that for the church, there is no place for oppression. And let me tell you why again, before we move on into some more scripture this morning, and let me read the definition of oppression to you. And this is, this definition of oppression is why we must not allow ourselves to be oppressed. And the only way we keep from being oppressed is to remain in the place where God establishes His people, which is in righteousness, which means through faith in the sacrifice. It doesn't mean anything else. It means nothing else. And any preacher that brings some other meaning of what it means to be established in righteousness other than faith in the cross, they are not a minister of righteousness. They may be a preacher. There are millions. But a minister of righteousness, and I hope you understand this today, will always without fail deliver that which can make you righteous 
or which allows you to function with righteous fruit as the servant of righteousness. If you are hearing one of God's ministers of righteousness, the result of your hearing that message properly will be you functioning as a servant of righteousness. That is the result of hearing ministers of righteousness. The result of hearing is that you're either saved and made righteous in Christ Jesus or if you already are saved and righteous in him, you are brought back to that place of being established in that place, in that righteousness where you can have the fruit of being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus or if you are walking in that now, he has promised to make that path shine more under to you. This is, this is how you tell the difference between those who just get up and preach and teach the word than ministers of righteousness. Proverbs 12, 17 says, he that speaks truth shows forth righteousness. That means it'll be seen. But a false witness, deceit. That means he'll use God's word to put on the table, even using God's word, what appears to be right. And the Bible says more than once, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end of that way is death. If it's not the way of righteousness, it is death. It is. So the definition of oppression, and this is why we're preaching this message. And the particular subject line of today, before I read this definition, is the presence and the power of God. And when you're being oppressed, you're not experiencing the presence and the power of God like you could be, like you should be. Because oppression, watch, is an overflowing pressure from you being defrauded and violated in the heart. That means you're being stolen from. Fraud is taking place. By the devil, yes, but through our flesh. It means to deprive of some right, an interest, or property by deceitful device. And it's an overpowering by force. Oppression is real. It is a force. It's there. When I had COVID, I was oppressed some. But every time I remembered, I had a place reserved for me in heaven. Oppression. Robin kept coming in the bedroom saying, so-and-so died. From COVID. And I had it 18 days laid up in there. And then a couple of days later, she'd come in there and say, So and so died from COVID. And I finally thought, Well, I must be leaving too then, the way I feel. But I finally came to the conclusion that's all right. I'd rather be there than here with COVID. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, I mean, I'd, I'll go through COVID and get out, but if COVID's the way it's going to be from now on, take me now. 
So oppression is a real force, and it's very forceful. And those of us who know what I'm talking about, and so a lot of Christians don't even know what's going on when they're oppressed. They start blaming him or her or them, but oppression will do that to you because it's your flesh that's being oppressed. And the flesh, you're going to blame somebody. The flesh ain't never going to say, well, it's my fault. I'm just... You know, even when we say, well, I'm just a mess and I'm no good and I ain't worthy of nothing, we're still looking for the way to blame somebody else. And oppression, that forceful power that is there that's defrauding you of the benefits Jesus died for you to have is a real power. It's a real power. And we have to be very careful about that because, uh, I mean, we notice it. You get your feelings hurt. Anybody ever had their feelings hurt? Yeah, it's everybody. Well, that can move into oppression, and oppression ends up in depression. Let me tell you something. You might want to serve the Lord when you're oppressed, you might want to, you might know you're supposed to be and need to be serving the Lord. But there's a power there that's defrauding you, that's violating, lying to us is what it's doing. But we can't overcome if we'll look to Calvary. You can't overcome any other way. You can't overcome by going to church or reading your Bible, by praying. It ain't going to happen for you. We got saved by believing in Jesus and what he did at Calvary. And we won't get delivered from anything or stay delivered from anything unless we keep believing in Jesus and what he did at Calvary. Amen. So this morning, again, let me read Hebrews 9 and 24 as I did last Sunday because the reason we have this presence and this power of God is because Jesus died for us and was raised on the third day and is now seated at the right hand of God and the Holy Spirit has been sent to us. And because you have the Holy Spirit, you always, let me say it again, you always have the presence and the power of God. He doesn't come and go. We do, but he doesn't. He came and went under the old covenant now he no longer comes and goes. His doing in your life and my life, what he does according to his word, which is his will, is based on my faith. It was Andrew and the fellas, Milani brothers, taught last night on the scarlet thread so well. If your faith is wrong, then you can't get grace right. And if your grace is not right, then the fruits of righteousness cannot be there. It all begins and ends with the object of your faith. And if it's not the sacrifice of Christ, it's not the right object of faith. Therefore, you've removed yourself from the one who called you into the grace of Christ. Therefore, there's absolutely never a chance of the fruits of righteousness. When you were saved, you were given the Holy Spirit. That's God. He gave himself to you first at Calvary, then to live in you. And you, every moment of your life, have the presence and the power of God. 
The presence and the power of God is in this room right now. He won't be here when we leave. That's voodoo and witchcraft. You don't have to go to a building to get in the presence of God. You are in the presence of God. But your faith can do more for you than just let you know and believe that God is always with you and that he'll never forsake you, but you can literally by faith go to the throne of grace. Literally. The Bible tells us that, that you can go to the throne of grace. No, you're not going to walk up to heaven and go through the clouds and finally find the place where God is sitting and see it with your natural eyes, but we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Faith is our sight. It's the substance touchable of what we're hoping for. And it is the very evidence of things not seen. So the presence and the power of God is with you all the time. I'm going to put my amen sign back in here. Christians don't know this. They think they got to run to a building, run to a prayer corner. My Lord, the Lord's with me as much right now as he is with me when I'm sleeping. He's not coming and going. And we have this because of, we're told this in Hebrews 9 and 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures only of the true. But he's entered into heaven itself. And he's there now. He entered there to appear in the presence of God for us. He's there because God loves you. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father because the Father loves you. He sent his Son to get you and to show you how much he loves you, and he did that through Calvary. And because he loves you, he seated his Son there in his presence, and every time, I, don't, I shouldn't even use that word, I don't think he ever stops beholding his Son. I don't think he looks over every once in a while at his son. I think he's determined not to see anything but his son. Because it's when he looks at his son, and I don't like using that word, because he only looks at his son. Not when he looks at him. He's never looking at anything other than his son. He created the worlds through his son. He, he, he has saved the worlds by his son. He's speaking to all right now by his son. And he will judge all men's hearts uh, by his son. He never takes his eyes off his son. God loves the scars on his son. He's the only one in heaven that'll be there forever with scars. Scars of love, mercy, and grace. Scars. You won't have a mark on you because he holds your marks for you. Mm. Mm. And because we are called to this place of 
ministerial righteousness, if you will. We are, and this is becoming more prevalent, more precious to me than ever before, that we are ministers of the experience of God. We are ministers of the experience. Do you not want an experience with your Lord every day? It's by faith that you have it. Experiential salvation. The Bible says that there are things that, in, that should accompany salvation. It's more than just I got saved at 11 and I've got a place for me reserved in heaven. I'll make it there one day. God wants to see his son through my life moment by moment. That's who he's looking for. He's looking to see the reflection of his son. Jesus. We're going to say it's all about Jesus, then we're going to go try to make it all about me. It's all about Jesus. From sun up to sundown, everything's about Jesus. The rising of the sun, the shining of the moon. If you study the Bible, you'll find out it's all about Jesus. There's nothing that exists that's not about Jesus. Amen. But because we are ministers of the experience, we preach the experience of Christ. Because, see, this is what the message of the cross is doing for those that will stick with it and stay determined not to know anything else other than this, that you, you can walk in the place where God begins to unfold the Scriptures to you in a greater and brighter way, but all that he's unfolding is Christ. That's all he's unfolding. Everything we see, we'll see it in the face of Christ and the glorious image presented to us on Calvary's tree or we will not see what God is trying to show us. But you can see more, you can have more, you can experience more because he never leaves. And he's not here to ride, to be a, a ride along, how what I say, he's not here just for the ride. He's not the co-pilot, folks. He is the one. Hmm. Psalm 1611. I'm going to show you some scriptures today that I, I pray the Lord would show you the, the, a little more deeper truth in them because this is what we need to know. And we brought it out last week, I believe, that just because we have the presence of God, the Spirit of God, does not mean that we are in communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit or Christ, either one of them. And I, and I have to bring it up again, the church in Laodicea. Now, this is very scary, folks. If, if you don't like scary spiritual things, go on back there and go to the bathroom. But those of you who love the Lord and you want to know the truth, he'll help you. he'll help you here if you'll hear the Scriptures. The church of Laodicea, they are in fellowship but not with Jesus. They have the Spirit of Christ in them, but they're not in fellowship with Him. Does that not alarm you? Does that not scare you? It does me. I have His Spirit because I have believed upon Him, but I am not in fellowship with Him every moment of my life. 
Fellowship with Jesus takes me being in communion with the Holy Spirit and our communion is only, according to the Scriptures, in the blood. It's not in anything else. Our communion with the Holy Spirit is in the blood and if that's where I'm communing, that's the truth I'm hearing, that's the object that my faith is in, the sacrifice of Christ, then I'm communing with the Holy Spirit and I'm in fellowship with Jesus. But just because I have his presence and his power is available, I always have his presence, but his power is always a potential His presence is not a potential. I'm saved. I have his presence. But his power is a potential moment-by-moment opportunity based on what our faith is in. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now we've heard the last two sections of that small verse, but the first verse, the first part of that verse, we don't don't bother with that. We We just know that in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand, at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. But you're not going to have the experience of the fullness of joy if you're oppressed. And let me say this this morning. You already have been given everything. All things are yours. All things. We're not living to try to achieve anything. Jesus has already achieved it all. He worked for it. He ran the race. He fought the fight. He won it all. And he is worthy of it all. But our faith must be there. So the path of life, you must see it. You must know it. Somebody asked you, most, most in the church today, you ask, most that claim to be the church today, you ask them, what's the path of life? And it's like that, that dumb stuff I see on television when people ask a woman, what's it mean to be a woman? And they can't tell them. I ain't kidding you. If the church is putting homosexuals in the pulpit, I promise you, they don't know what the path of life is. Now, whether they be the true church or not even the church, well, that's between them and the Lord going to have to work that up. He told me not to pull the tares up, let them grow. But you don't know what the path of life is if you're living a life that's an abomination according to the Scriptures to the Lord and claiming you're right with God. You don't know what the path of life is. You must know what the path of life is if you're going to experience the presence, the fullness of joy that's in the presence of the Lord. You always have His presence, but His power is a potential. And that is New Covenant theology. Because the Holy, it takes the, an experience of the Holy Spirit for you to experience the power of God. And Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. That includes nothing, everything. You can't experience the power of God, the Holy Spirit, nothing without Jesus. Jesus has to be involved in everything. 
we, we've thought maybe that, well, I have his spirit. How has Jesus got to be involved? Well, let me tell you something. If I'm not in fellowship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit can't do nothing for me. His number one mission every day from sunup to sundown is to keep me in fellowship with Jesus through my faith in his blood. If he can't do that, then I'm not looking at what he's showing me and what he's delivering me unto. And if I can't see that, won't accept that, I don't know what the path of life is. I've moved off of it and I've gotten distracted. The path of life is Jesus. He is the path, the life, and the truth. Path and way, same thing. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the path, the truth, and the life. He is my path of righteousness. He's the one God is making brighter as my path of the just. It's not some dusty trail I'm picturing in my mind. It's Jesus is my righteousness. He's my path of righteousness. He's the light. He's the brightness of God's glory. And the more I understand Calvary, the brighter Christ gets to me. Because it is all about him, and it ain't nothing about me. He will show me the path of life if I'm going to experience the fullness of his joy in his presence and realize that at God's right hand, what's there? Jesus, we brought it out last week, he is God's right hand. Our pleasures, 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 that means that which pleases God forevermore. Pleasures at right, God's right hand means that whatever is there is bringing pleasure to Him. What's at His right hand? Jesus and you. Woo! Hallelujah! Jesus and you! But the only reason we're there is because Jesus is there. So when the Bible says, at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's not talking about what Pentecostal for the most part and charismatic for the most part want to try to turn that into. The pleasures that are at God's right hand forevermore means that which he's pleased with. That's what, that which brings him pleasure. His name is Jesus. God's not pleased outside of Jesus. It's impossible to please God without faith, Brother Curtis, not just Jesus. No. It's impossible to please God without the faith of the Son of God because that's the faith we live by. Galatians 2.20, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us by that faith and gave himself for us by that faith. Hmm. So what we'll be looking at today is the opportunity to hear that which can bring you into a deeper relationship with the one that saved you. It doesn't happen outside of your faith in the sacrifice. It doesn't happen because you're more 
spending more time in this or more time in some ritual that may be good. May be good. Very good. But a deeper work of the Holy Spirit requires you understanding what the, that the Holy Spirit is showing you the deepest thing and delivering you to the deepest thing that exists, which is the love of God. But it's the death of Jesus. You don't separate the two. You don't separate the two. I don't mind being told that God loves me, hallelujah. God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, and I better know that he does. But if I don't like hearing scriptures that tell me the Holy Spirit's delivering me always, moment by moment, to the death of Jesus, then I'm just talking with my lips about the love of God. See, God has shed his love abroad in our heart. What does that really mean? That means God, who is love, moved in you to live in you. He is love, and outside of him, love ain't right. Our love among each other might be what we call love, but it ain't the same as God's love. So when God, Romans 5 and 5, shed shed his, gushed it like a flood. When he saved you, shed his love abroad in your heart, that simply means he didn't put a little touch of love in you, honey. He moved in to make your body his temple. He is love. The only love you really got going on is God in you, Emmanuel. And I don't know, yeah, I do. I know about you as well as I know about myself. I want more of the experience of that. See, faith works by love. And we only have the picture of that at Calvary. Christ loved us and gave by grace through faith. So we we preach the cross for salvation, yet we stay focused on the Lamb, the cross for the experience, those things that accompany salvation. Because if we lack the experience or if we lack those things that accompany salvation, we'll find ourselves oppressed, moving away from the truth of Calvary. When you think you don't need to be focused on the Lamb anymore, you're oppressed You're being violated. You're being defrauded. Psalms 145, verse 17 through 19. I think we read it maybe last week, but I want to share just three or four, maybe five, maybe 50 scriptures. You all right, Leah? Praise the Lord. That'll help you. I I really can do my best to help you, but I'm not the one the Bible calls the helper. But he's told me if I'll keep looking at what he's looking at, he can help you. If you will look at what he's looking at, he can help you. He wants to help you but he can't always just help you. If he could, 
there would have been a doorknob on the outside of that door Jesus was knocking on. And he surely, because of his great love, would have just yanked it wide open and went on in. But what he did to prove his love was send a letter through John to let them know you're not in fellowship. You're pretending. Psalms 145 verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. I hope you're seeing these things. I hope that word righteous stirs your heart. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Anybody a little warm in here this morning? Is it just me? The Lord is righteous in how many of his ways? If, if the Lord is righteous in all his ways, then when God is doing something in my life, it will have the fruit of righteousness. That means the fruit of what Christ did for me at Calvary. Let me read it again. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. So if the Lord is working in me and through me, the fruit of that is going to be the righteousness of biblical faith. It's going to be the fruit of righteousness. And it's going to be the fruit of holiness. Because wherever and only wherever there is the fruit of righteousness can there be holiness. You are righteous and you are holy, but do we express that every moment? Do we express that every moment that we know we should express that? N-O spells no. Do we express righteousness, those of us who even know the one way it can be expressed? When we could, when we should. No, we don't. Well, I'm just preaching better than your amen in. We do not do what we should do when we could do it, even when we know we should and could do it. Sometimes I would start talking to the married folks because there's where the rubber really meets the highway. At home behind that pine door. I ain't letting her get up here and tell a thing. Watch now. Watch now. The Lord is near unto all them that call upon him. Who are them? To all them that call upon him in truth. Watch. Watch. It comes. It comes with a huge promise. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Salvation and the experience of it is for all. But it is a very exclusive avenue. It's not for all to make up their own way. God's way of righteousness, he calls it through the writing of Peter, his holy commandment. 
And there comes such a warning with against turning away from the holy commandment, which is God's way of righteousness. The warning is this. Get this now. I believe it's in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, somewhere around there. But Peter writes this. It's better that you never knew that you stayed lost. Get this now. It's better that you never knew the way of righteousness than after having known it, turned away from the holy commandment. You see, this way of righteousness is a command out of heaven. And the Bible says, for those of you who are Bible believers, sometimes I find out not everybody is, the way of righteousness is God's holy commandment. And the Bible says that it's better, it'd be better that you never even knew anything about it. Judgment will be better for you, even though you would go to hell, but it'd be better for you that you never knew it than to have known it and turned from it. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Don't turn away from the way of the cross because that is God's way of righteousness. Millions have over the last 30 years. Well, I don't just think I need to be hearing that all the time. Well, you go tell God that. And God will take you through some trying times, just like he did me when I told God I didn't need to be hearing that. Well, God took me through some trying times and showed me, yet that's all you need to be hearing. That's all I've offered. That's all I've offered, God would say. Hmm. So for those of you who we would read this and see here that the Lord is near unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth, we see this and sometimes we make a fatal mistake of saying, well, that was under the Old Testament. Let's look this morning, if we can, at James chapter 4, verse 8, New Covenant Scripture pulled from the old because there's one thing that didn't change although some things did from the old to the new and the sacrificial focus has not changed it's got to be a sacrifice it's always really been the sacrifice of Christ because the Bible says God was never pleased with the blood of bulls and goats why? Because they couldn't take away sins, and that's what pleases him. But they pointed to Christ and the one who would shed his blood that could take away all the sin of the world. James 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's in your New Testament Bible. It's a conditional promise, Christians. I said it's a conditional promise, uh, children of God. You have his presence. You have his spirit. But that doesn't mean you're in the presence of Christ in fellowship with him by faith. That requires your faith be in the death of Jesus. And it does not mean that we just say, well, of course we believe in the cross. I know we do. It's the, way, it's the way by which God saved us. But God's looking to see if we'll keep 
eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus. Because when we stop partaking from that table, there is no experience of life. Just because we have life doesn't mean we're laying hold of that eternal life. Just because we're in Christ doesn't mean we're walking in Christ. Just because we've been immersed into the Spirit doesn't mean we're walking in the Spirit. And just because I have the Spirit of God does not mean I'm in communion with His Spirit through fellowship with Jesus. Everything is a potential experience by but when we say by faith, we're not to, we don't leave that open. We don't leave, we can't leave that open. There's one faith, some of you may have struggled with this, but you can't refute it. There's one faith, the Bible tells us that in Ephesians 4, 5. That means there's only one faith, one object of faith. There's only one object of faith. If we live by the faith of the Son of God, then there's one object of faith, and it's the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. When I put my faith in healing, in a spouse, I've got my faith misplaced. I can have my faith for God to do millions of things for me, but my faith has to only be in the death of Jesus. When God opened that door that Jesus says twice that he is, when he opened that door in his death, God gave you a place to rest your believing heart. He hasn't offered another. There's not another. There's not another place to put your faith. Well, we've got a whole Bible. I can believe I can have my faith in this. And, and, and you know, well, uh, yes, you can. But that, all God's words are in righteousness. Amen. What scripture is that? Anybody know beside Pastor Don? It turned him upside down and blessed him. Proverbs 8 and 8. All the words of God's mouth are in righteousness. The faith that we live by only comes through that righteousness. I know you want to see it, don't you? Good, I'm glad you do. You got looks of wonder on your face. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. I didn't intend on this, but we'll go. I want you to see it, highlight it, mark it down, go home, ask the Lord to help you with it because he gave it to you for you. 2 Peter 1 and 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith. There's only one. Watch this now. Like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God. If faith doesn't come through righteousness, it is not biblical faith. That's why just quoting the scripture and thinking God's going to do something, that ain't going to work for you. All God's words are in righteousness, but his righteousness is revealed in the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17. It's very important you know these, what some of you would call very simple truths, but others of us are sitting here going, Wow. And very few know these things. Very few know these things today. 
God's righteousness is only revealed. That means all the words of his mouth are only revealed. And it means faith comes by hearing and hearing all the words of God's mouth. We live by every word that comes out of God's mouth. But the faith that comes must come through the righteousness of God. And what does it say? And our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because without that last part, we can just run out of here and do what we want to with it. The righteousness could be in my jacket. Your righteousness could be in your uh, whatever. But the righteousness of God comes through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all the Word of God, every Word of God that God is leading you to see and to walk in as truth, it must first bring faith to you. But faith can't come except through righteousness. Faith can't come except through righteousness. That means the object of your faith has to always be the sacrifice of Christ, not just the very thing that you're reading in the Word. The Word, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth is going to take that Word that He's trying to guide you into and His first stop with you and every Christian is Calvary because if we're not beholding the Lamb, there's no way that He's going to be able to walk our feet in the truth that we want to experience. It takes the cross for us to be saved, it takes the object of our faith being in the cross for us to walk in the truths we're reading. This is what the church doesn't know. This is why the church is in a mess. This is why they think they can just go quote a bunch of Bible verses. It's like rubbing a genie and hoping God will move because I'm quoting some scripture, but God moves when he sees my heart believing unto righteousness. How do I know? Because he moved right inside of me when I first believed it. And that's when he began a good work in me. And my faith in that is what will prevent him being held up and, 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 or me deserting the one who began the good work in me. That's what the Bible means in Galatians 1 and 6 when Paul says, I marvel that you have so soon removed yourself from the one who's called you into the grace of Christ. The word there really means deserted. You've deserted him. The church of Laodicea might not have known it and maybe probably they didn't really know it and that's why the Lord was faithful enough to send a letter to them because they had deserted him. The very one that they had his spirit they had deserted him. Their fellowship was no longer with him. I was found by God in that place. I was found by God in that place. I loved him. I knew he loved me, but I knew something was bad wrong. And I had no idea what. Anybody ever felt that way? I love you, Lord, and the one thing I'm more sure of than anything is that you love me, but something was bad wrong, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't explain it. it, it the best I could do was blame somebody else. But when I started here in God's focus, which was the Lamb, when I started hearing the Bible spoken in light the only place from where light comes, which is the Lamb. Then I began to see, wow, this is, this is it. And I've, and I've been my greatest problem. I've blamed the devil. I've blamed the world. 
I blame people. And all that is a mess. But I wasn't blaming myself. When you get a good look at Calvary, you're going to blame yourself. Because you're going to see self like you ain't never seen self. And that's the reason something most folk don't want to hear about the cross. They don't like seeing how ugly they really are to God. Oh, yeah, let me say that again. We don't like seeing how ugly we really are to God. And I'm talking about that fleshly. If the flesh can be at nothing but enmity toward God, then God can't like what he sees there. And that's why he sent his son to save us. So he could see us through his son now. So James 4, 4 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded. What's double-minded? Well, let me say this. It's what causes oppression. You got to be sold out, cross-eyed, determined, all in. You got to say the cross is the, the lamb. God don't have two answers. He's got one. He became a man to die for me that I might be saved from sin, that I might be saved from myself, that I might have a new life, that I might be his, that I might never be separated from him, that I might not be dominated by me any longer, oppressed and deep. Christ, hallelujah. God ain't done but one thing for all things, and that's give his son. Mm. So when we read scriptures like this, cleanse your hands, you sinners, we look around the room. This New Testament. You ever been there? You've heard me tell it. I've been there. Y'all take a piece of paper and write down the three worst things you struggle with, sinful things or temptation or bondage. Everybody's writing. I'm like, good Lord, boy, they got a lot of problems. I was there. I ain't been there since I got a, a, a little, just a little look at Calvary. I ain't never been there again. Somebody says, write down, how, write down the three things. I said, man, you ain't got enough lead in your pencil, son. You think I'm trying to be funny? I ain't. You got more stuff wrong with you than the, you can't imagine. If God showed us everything that was wrong with us right now, we'd just collapse and be with him probably. Well, how, how do I know that's true? Because whatever I do that's wrong from here till I'm with him has come out of this old heart right here. That's where it's at. Hmm. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Yeah, y'all! Not us right here, though. Purify your hearts. Yeah, y'all. You're double-minded. Y'all need to get on board. No, I've been double-minded. I've been double-minded. It ain't been that long ago. Have you trusted in yourself lately? Have you puffed up and swole up to try to get your way? That's you. That ain't the crossway. Went in there and sold up and got by yourself. I'm going to let them know. <laughs> oh, yeah, we laughing, but it ain't funny. We selfish. We selfish. Admitting you selfish ain't going to deliver you from being selfish. It's going to take the work of the cross for that. 
the Holy Spirit working through your faith therein, nothing else. Admitting you messed up ain't going to save you and deliver you from you. You can go around and tell everybody. You can put it in newspaper. I'm the most sinful and prideful and selfish, conceited person in our county. You ain't, that ain't going to deliver you. It's going to make everybody stay away from you. <laughs> this is New Testament. Double-minded means I'll trust in the cross a little bit, but then, like Peter, I'll jump up at the respect and fear of some men. And, and up, 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 up! It happened to Peter in the moment. That's why we preach moment by moment. Ain't nobody ever lived and done it moment by moment, but my Lord, I hope we're striving for it. I hope we're striving for moment by moment. I hope we're farther along than we were last year. <clears throat> mm. Ephesians. No, no, no. Let's go. Let's go to. Let me let me read this verse I quoted to you, Galatians one and six. Because the reason I'm sharing these scriptures with you today is because I'm not a preacher that's going to get up and lullaby you. I'm going to tell you where the experience is, and I'm also going to tell you it ain't happening nowhere else. I can't just get up and tell you what's right. I got to tell you what's wrong too. Because if I don't then you'll mix what's wrong that I'm not saying anything about with what's right, and it won't work for you because that brings about double-mindedness. Galatians 1.6 shows what we're talking about this morning, that we can be in fellowship with Jesus or we can be out of fellowship with Jesus. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him. He didn't remove us. We removed ourselves. We deserted the one that called us into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Which tells us one thing about the church in Galatia. They were no longer fellowshipping or functioning by the grace of Christ. And if you read that whole letter to the Galatians, they, the Holy Spirit through Paul will even tell them, you've fallen from grace. Doesn't mean they lost their souls. It means that they were no longer functioning where the spirit of grace could affect them. He tells them that in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, that because you've chosen circumcision over simple faith in Christ crucified, that now Christ cannot profit you or affect you. And he did not make that happen. We did, they did, by choosing some other object of faith. I'm sharing a scripture with you this morning because the reality of being out of fellowship with Jesus is very real even if we think we are in fellowship with him. The only thing that makes, listen, you, what you call your experience may not be scriptural. That's the problem today with the big part of the church. They're having experiences. The devil knows what he's doing. And the church is having these experiences and their, their, their faith is in their experiences and when Scripture is brought to them, they get mad at the one and, and we become the enemy because we're sharing scriptural truth with them and it's not bearing witness with their experience. That means their fellowship is not with Jesus. 
Your fellowship is with Jesus, not just because you got saved, but because your faith is in what Jesus did to save you. That's the only thing that allows your communion with the Holy Spirit. You can speak in tongues till the, from the time the sun comes up goes down. That don't mean you're in communion with the Holy Spirit. The Pentecostal church is deceived. They think they can go into speaking in other tongues and that's going to that's bring them through. It never has. It never will. The cross is how Jesus came through. It's the only way we'll come through. Hmm. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. These, the New Testament is full of these experiences that we really don't, the church really don't like to hear. Just, just keep telling me how much God loves me. He does love you enough to be giving you what he's giving you this morning. It was the love of God that wrote to the Galatian church that told them Christ can't affect you or profit you. That's not mean, ugly, and nasty. That's not condemning. That is God's merciful hand reaching. I'm glad that hand found me, hallelujah, telling me I was wrong. I didn't like it. One last scripture here, Matthew 15 and 8. You're not just, i got to keep saying this, we're not just automatically in fellowship with Jesus because we're Christians. And let me go a step further. Nobody is in fellowship with Jesus whose faith is not in the sacrifice. Now this does not mean you have to sit around and be saying the word cross or all that stuff all the time, but it does mean you can't replace that object of faith with anything else. If you're trying to have a drink or two to relieve you of the oppression, it won't work. If you're trying to listen to music that's ungodly, which is any music that's not pointing to Christ, by the way, it can't help you. God says what he does to deliver the oppressed is to establish them in his righteousness. If you don't understand what that means and you don't want to learn more about that, or if you ever have any questions, then you just ask this old preacher and I will give you Scripture because only Scripture can help you understand Scripture you don't understand. That's all that can help us is Scripture. Matthew 15, 8 shows us another instance where we can be saying all the right things, putting on all the right activities, because, see, it's always a matter of the heart. The only place we trust in the Lord is from the heart. Matthew 15, 8, This people draws near unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Again this morning, you always, as a child of God, have the presence of God. That is not a potential. Now, the experience of that presence is a potential. 
And the experience of that power is a potential. We've shown that this morning in Scriptures. Just because we're saved and on our way to heaven does not mean that we're in fellowship with Jesus. But we can be. We can be. And we're not in fellowship with him because we're talking to him. Need my amen sign right now. If my faith is not in his sacrifice, the Bible tells me he cannot affect me or profit me. That means my talking will, can be there, but my heart, if it's not surrendered to the way of the cross, then my heart is not really even behind what my words are saying, and I have been there, my friends. Biblical ignorance is rampant. There is a famine in the world of God's Word. There is not a famine or a shortage of Bibles, but there is a massive, huge amount of famine in understanding the truth of God's Word. And let me say what I always say. As a pastor, I don't want my people ignorant. I don't want my people oppressed. I call you my people, but we all each other's people. You're not really my people. We all each other's people. But as a pastor, I don't want you ignorant. I don't want you oppressed. Don't sit at home and wonder about anything. You can reach me in a twinkle. Ask. Many all over this nation do, even overseas. They send questions about what they hear me teach. I was on the phone a couple days ago with somebody asking me questions and what I meant by this thing that I'm saying, and I just gave them Scripture. And they said, ah, thank you. Because I have no other answer than Scripture. I preach nothing but Scripture. Because we live... By every word that God has spoken, yet the life is only found in the blood. And the Lamb is the light. Revelation 21, 23. So is it the word we read or is it Jesus? Just Jesus. Some, some have recently said that. Said it to us. Why can't it just be Jesus? Because God didn't plan it that way. It's not just Jesus. It's a crucified Jesus. Mm. Amen. I want you, I desire that you be in the experience scripturally of fellowship with Jesus. There are many talking today, but they're not in fellowship with him. Faith in anything other than the cross means you're out of fellowship with Jesus. I have scriptures to back up what I say. Men will come. Men will come. And David said about these enemies of the cross, that's what they are, that they will speak words that are smooth as honey, but their hearts are full of war. This is in Psalms 55, 19. And their words will be smooth as oil, but they're drawn swords 
And let me close by saying this. Whoever you're listening to, they better be pointing you to Calvary. And they better not be linking arms with men who don't. Because there it comes. God's ministers of righteousness preach that. They don't allow anything else. Because anything else makes me double-minded. Anything that would cause me to think... I don't need quite as much of the focus of Calvary. It's something that's causing me to go the way of being double-minded. Because God only has one mind, and it's toward Christ and through Christ. And that's what He desires for us. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning, please?